All right, good morning, good morning. How are you? Doing good, welcome everybody to New Life Church. So good to see all of you watching online, welcome. And all of you that stayed home to watch the Broncos on one screen, church on the other screen, I see you. I want you to feel bad about it. I'm assuming guys, ladies in the, in the room, if you're looking at your phone today, that you're not looking at the score, that you're following along with the Holy Scriptures, okay? And don't get those two things confused today, all right? Hey, I wanna make a couple of announcements. Uh, this Wednesday night is First Wednesday, our favorite night of every month. I hope you get to come. Cancel whatever you have planned and come Wednesday night. Listen, we need to pray. Our nation needs us to pray. Our city needs a, a praying church. I need to be a part of a praying church. So come this Wednesday night, 6.30. It'll last for about an hour. So come and pray and worship with us this Wednesday night. All right, also, I know you've heard me talk many, many times about the school and the, uh, the feeding center that we support in Guatemala. I've been there many times uh, and we have about 300 children in one of the poorest areas of Guatemala that we've been teaching, we've been feeding, we've been giving them medical care. And uh, last fall, I went there to check on them, first time that anybody had come to check on them after COVID. So I wanna show you this video. This is me, I think we have the video here, do we? All right, there we are. I actually got to fly in this helicopter, okay? But I want you to see what's written on the ground as I'm about to land. These children had written that scripture out. In our time of affliction, you heard our distress. And they had that spelled out on the ground with white rocks. And all the kids were sitting there waiting for me as I landed. They sobbed and cried. And the reason they were crying is because we had sent them several containers of food several months before and they had been surviving and eating the food that you packed and that you sent to Guatemala. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up this morning, there are 130 children at this school that need support. Pam and I support two of them. We also support children through compassion. We have two children in El Salvador that we, every month we send that check and we support two children in El Salvador through compassion. This is through DAR, D-A-R. And I also support two of these kids. We have 130 kids. Listen, you can save their life. I'm, I'm, being, I'm not trying to exaggerate or to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you there's a real need that you can help meet uh, with these kids. And we have a table in the lobby today. I'd like to make sure that all 130 kids are taken care of. In fact, here's what else I'll tell you. I, I'm already supporting four. I will support two more today. Pam and I will take two more if you'll do the rest. Amen, will you pray about that with me? So there's a table. I know you get asked a lot for about child sponsorships. It's a big thing in our city. I know you get mail all the time. You're getting requests all the time. But I know these kids. I've met these kids. I know them. I know the leaders of this, of this mission. They're doing fantastic work in Guatemala and it's, it's worth every penny that we do, okay? All right, thank you for letting me tell you about that. There's a table in the lobby right after the service. Would you please consider, at least take the information home, pray about it, and commit to helping me get these kids sponsored. All right, turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter two. And I'm gonna try to get in trouble today. And I'm, I'm gonna talk about what the government needs from the church. And if that doesn't upset you, next week we're gonna talk about women in ministry. So 
That's 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2 does not play around. And so I'm, gonna, I, uh, I'm not here to aggravate you. I'm really not. I never think about that when I come up here that I'm trying to uh, agitate you or goad you or pick a fight. But let me just say this. If, if preaching does not unsettle you, if preaching doesn't cause you to rethink from time to time, then I am failing you miserably. Because I have been agitated as I've studied this all week long. The Lord has challenged me. The Lord has convicted me. So as I prepare this message, I feel the greatest amount of conviction before I ever bring it to you. I have wrestled with my own private convictions before I preach. Therefore, if I preach it and no conviction happens in the room, then I have failed you as a communicator, as a pastor, right? Because we're here today to grow, right? We're here today to learn how to better follow Jesus. Amen? I just want to make sure that's why you came today. Because I'm, I'm a lousy entertainer. I'm not a comedian. I'm not that cute anymore. I got a dad bod. I don't call it a dad bod. I call it a father figure. So I'm not here to charm you. I've lost all my charm. I don't know how to do that anymore. But do I do the, know this. I love you sincerely. I appreciate you more than you know. I pray for you every day. I care deeply for what God's doing in this church. Therefore, one of the things I love about preaching through books of the Bible is you can't skip over the hard stuff. You can't skip over the challenging text, right? So today is a challenging text for all of us. What does the government need from the church? Now, we're about, what, a week and a half away from midterm elections? I don't know if you've been following any of that or not. I got excited this week when my ballots came in the mail. I, I love voting. I love the process. I love that I get to be a part of a, of a democratic republic. I love that I get a chance to express my voice. And there are four voters in my house now. We have Pam, my, myself and Pam and our two kids, we're all four voters. And we love sitting down together. We usually sit down around our kitchen table and we talk through the issues and we talk through the candidates. My kids make their own choices. They, they vote, they don't do what dad tells them, although I try to influence them, but they, they have their own mind. I, I raised them to be conscientious thinkers and they have, and so they make their own choices, but we talk about it. We're engaged in the political process at our house. I think it's important for all of you to be engaged, uh, at, least in the, at least by voting. So 1 Timothy chapter two talks explicitly about the need for the church to be a part of what's happening in government. So I'm gonna read this text to you, 1 Timothy 2, verse one. I urge then, say these next three words with me. First of all, in other words, before you do anything else, do this. That request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, everybody. The party you voted for, and the party you didn't vote for. Everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Now listen to this, why do we do that? Why should we pray? Why should we intercede? Why should we give our prayers and our requests about kings and all those in authority? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Leave that up just for a moment. Do you think that's what's happening in America today? Come on, I'm asking you a question. I'm asking you to consider with me. 
Are we living peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness? Not in the world I'm living in. And it's been like that for about 10 or 15 years in my opinion, if not longer, maybe 40 years, if you've really been paying attention to why. Why are we not living in peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness? I believe it's because the church stopped praying. That's why I'm calling you to First Wednesday. I'm so grateful that First Wednesday happens before the election so that we can exercise this this, this Wednesday night. So this Wednesday night at First Wednesday, we're gonna have a dedicated time where we pray. And I'll tell you how we'll pray. We're gonna pray for the integrity of the elections. We're gonna pray for godly people to be elected. We're gonna pray for our nation to heal because it's, it's hurting right now. And listen to this, he says, this is good. And it pleases God. I don't know about you, but that's kind of my whole mission in life. I just want to please God. I'm really, I really don't, I'm at 55 years old. I'm past the place where I need people to like me, but I sure want God to like me. I want to do things that are pleasing to God at this stage in my life. Well, for whatever years I have left, I want to, I want to be pleasing to the Lord. I, I want to be godly. I want holiness to fill my life. I want to be a better follower of Jesus as I get older, not, a, not an angry, agitated old guy. I want to be godly. I want to be cautious. I want to be full of wisdom. I want grace. I want the spirit of the living Christ to emanate out of me, to come out of my voice, to come out of my words, to motivate my actions, to do holy things in my heart. And I love this quote from Mir Miroslav Volf. He's one of the great theologians, scholars. I love his definition of good government. He says, a great government gives everyone the conditions, opportunities, and the tools to have a flourishing life. That's really it, right? That's the role of government. Fix our streets, defend our nation, give us the opportunity to be flourishing. Don't get in our way, in other words. Get out of our way. Give us the necessary tools and conditions so that everyone has a fair chance. That really is when government's working best, that's what's happening. So I'm gonna show you in this passage of scripture this morning, three things that the government needs from the church today. And first of all, the government needs prayer. This is what Paul is talking about to Timothy. Paul is saying, listen, first of all, pray. Now, I want you to understand the conditions that Paul and Timothy were living in. They were not living in a democracy. They were living under a totalitarian fascist regime. They were living under evil government. They did not have the ability to vote someone else into the emperors in Rome. I can promise you they would have, but that was not a choice. If you think government is, is evil today, I can promise you Paul and Timothy were living under a hundred times more oppression than any of us have ever imagined. And even then, under a heavy, oppressive government, Paul says, I know this for a fact, the only thing that can change the condition of government is the power of prayer. Now I want you to understand, has anyone heard from the Roman government in the last 1700 years? It went away. Rome seized to hold power over all of the Middle East. That went away. And we've been talking about Jesus for 2,000 years. We haven't talked about the Roman Empire in 17, 1800 years. The power of prayer brought that kingdom to its knees. 
And it didn't happen overnight. It happened because of a steady, powerful place where he prayed, they prayed, and they prayed. Government, governing authorities may be hypocritical or even incompetent, but the position of government, according to Paul, according to the scriptures, and there are multiple places. Romans 13 talks about this. First Peter talks about this. Plenty of places in scripture. Jesus talked about it. Render under Caesar those things which are Caesar's. Jesus, even Jesus talked about the need for good government. He says, but the position must be respected. Who then should we pray for? Paul says, for all those in authority. So this week I said, Father in heaven, I prayed for Nancy Pelosi. I prayed for her husband who was attacked this week. I prayed for his speedy recovery. I prayed for Chuck Schumer. I prayed for President Biden. Do I agree politically with anything they do? Almost nothing do I agree with. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said, it, it, don't just pray for the people you agree with, pray for them. And I prayed for them. I prayed that their hearts would change. I prayed, I prayed for our local government, Mayor Southers. I prayed for our city council, for our county commissioners, for our governor, for the state legislature. I found myself praying for people, not out of spite, but out of real concern. Listen, you don't have to lay your convictions down. You don't have to drop your concerns. You can be concerned, you can be aggravated. But don't forget that what really will bring about a change is a praying church. The praying church is powerful. The angry church is impotent. The praying church is powerful. I'm just telling you this, okay? This is, this is the scriptures. So here's, I'm gonna say this as your pastor, this is gonna aggravate some of you, I'm sure. But the tone of our language must be respectful. Name calling and mocking are not the ways of Jesus, not one time. Not one time did you ever read, did you ever see Jesus mocking Rome? He didn't do it. And they crucified him. It was Rome that crucified Jesus. Roman soldiers under the edict of a Roman leader, or they're the ones that killed him. And what did Jesus do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Did he endorse it? No. Did he know it was wrong? Yes. But he did something powerful. And this is exactly, listen, every time you get aggravated and angry, you want to lash out, just read, read the passage, the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Just read that. Because that, that's what I do when I get aggravated and agitated and Pam will look at me and say, Brady, you need to take a deep breath. I go read the seven last sayings of Jesus. When he was at his worst, when he was being tortured and killed and crucified, what did he say? He, he blessed them. And he showed us a way of confronting our enemies that has radically changed the world. The best things we can do for Jesus is to follow Jesus. The best thing we can do for our politics is to follow Jesus. What the world needs right now is a church full of the Holy Spirit, clear-eyed, bright-minded, clean-hearted, pure and powerful church to rise up and to show people a better way. That's the best thing we can do for our politics. Here's the second thing our, our government needs. Our government needs prophetic guides. We need to speak truth right now for sure. We need to point out corruption and not tolerate injustice in any form. No form at all. Now look at this in 1 Timothy 2. It says that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness 
and holiness. Leave that up for a moment. You can't have one without the other. We've been trying to get godliness and holiness, but we haven't been peaceful or quiet. Or we want, we want, we want peace. We want, we, we use anger. We use vitriol and think we're going to get godliness and holiness. The only path that leads you to godliness and holiness is a peaceful and quiet lives. In other words, it's a peace filled life that results in godliness and holiness. And that only happens when the power of Christ is present. Throughout world history, there have been some remarkable men and women who have risked everything to speak truth to power. Men and women full of the Holy Spirit that had a moment in history, a moment in time where they stood and confronted evil forces that were threatening to take over their government. I think about William Wilberforce, a believer, saw the atrocities of the slave movement in, in, in the UK, Great Britain. He saw it. He saw slaves being traded. He saw the condition of slaves in his nation. And he went to parliament and protested and took a chance on risking everything, his wealth, his status, his place of power. But ultimately, because he was a faithful witness, a powerful protester who did not lose his witness for Jesus along the way, slavery in the British empire came to a screeching halt. In fact, what, 35 years before it ended in America, it ended in the UK. Why? Because one guy started a movement. He stood up and said, hey, this is not right. This is not the way of Jesus. And he, and he did not lose his witness. Listen, it's possible to powerfully protest without losing your witness of Jesus. When you protest, and you should, when you speak out, and you should, when you take a stand, and you should, Remember, the biggest thing that we can lose right now, the thing that's up for grabs right now, is the witness of Jesus. I want to reflect Christ. And there's another guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He opposed Nazi rule as a pastor in Germany, went to prison, was tortured, and was hung in 1945, only a few days before the war ended. He's in a jail cell, and they gave him one more chance to deny his beliefs. He said, no, I cannot deny them days before that camp was liberated by allied soldiers. Bonhoeffer was taken out and hung. But his voice today rings true, doesn't it? His voice today, we still know his voice. We still read his writings. We still understand his convictions because he was willing to stand in the face of tyranny and not lose his witness. There's another one in America. Martin Luther King was a Baptist pastor who protested civil rights abuses in the 1960s. And we still honor his courage today killed on the balcony of a Memphis hotel. While there, you know what he was doing in Memphis when he was killed? He was protesting sewage workers who were paid about half of what white sewage workers were being paid, sanitary workers. He was there to point out an injustice and a gunman killed him. But we still quote him today. We still honor him today because he was a witness. I wanna tell you something, New Life. I'm not a pawn of any political party. I refuse to be a pawn. For 15 years, I have stood here. We have another election coming up next week. We have another presidential election coming up in two years. I will not be a pawn to any earthly political party. I am a prophet to the entire political system. This is important for you to understand. We need to speak, we need to speak truth in love to anything that stands opposed to what Christ has for us. But I'm not a pawn, I'm a prophet. And that God needs a prophetic voice right now into government. 
Here's the third thing, and this is really critical. The third thing that the government needs from the church right now is we need people with integrity. I want to read first Peter, listen to this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now listen to this, leave that up just for a moment. To commend those who do wrong and to commend, punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. In other words, what we're assuming in our government is they know the difference between right and wrong. This is what we're assuming when we send you to government. In our democracy, when you run for an office, what I'm assuming when I, when I fill out that little oval box and I vote for you, I'm assuming you know up from down, dark from light, right from wrong. In the past, I don't know, past year, I've been to Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Costa Rica, I've been to Japan, and I've been to Israel in the last year. I'm about to go to Panama, and I'm about to go to Colombia. Every time when I travel, especially around Central and South America, usually on the ride from the airport to wherever we're going, I ask the people that are hosting us, tell me about the government here in your country. Can you trust your government? Do you trust the police? 99% of the time in those countries, they go, oh no, 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 we do not trust government and the police are corrupt. You know what's happening to the souls of those nations? The pastors there grieve, they've cried in front of me, they sobbed in front of me because they said, pastor, somewhere along the way, we lost our integrity. Corruption crept in, and now it's not just crept in, it has taken hold. And the roots of corruption have grown down deep into Honduras, deep into Guatemala. El Salvador and Costa Rica are full of government corruption, and the soul of their nation has been taken from them. New Life Church, I will not vote for someone who lies, cheats, and steals. I will not. If there's, I don't care what policies they promise me. I don't care what political promises they make me. I do not vote for corrupt people. If you're gonna earn my vote, you're gonna tell me I'm a person of integrity. If I have to go down and vote for the fifth party down the whatever, I'm gonna find someone on that ballot who represents integrity or I will not vote. I will not cast my vote for someone who lacks integrity. And I'm asking you to take a stand with me Don't give yourself away to someone who lies, cheats, and steals, who is corrupt, because if we allow those people, and we say, well, Pastor Brady, it's the lesser of two evils. It's still evil. Listen, the lesser of two evils is still evil. And I'm just telling you, we have to make a decision as the body of Christ, what do we hold important? Maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm past, maybe I've gone past the, the, the climate of the culture. I just believe in being honest. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't make a promise that you're not gonna fulfill. Be a person of integrity. Maybe I just need to run for office, maybe, maybe one day. I just do that when, I, when I'm an old guy. I'll just, because I'm just telling you, New Life Church, please, when you fill out your ballot box, I'm asking you to vote, but vote with integrity. And, and I'm demanding, when, when politicians come to me, and they come to me all the time, I got a call this week from a politician wanting to meet with me. I said, listen, you want my vote? Show me that you're a person of integrity. I I look them in the eye and I tell them that. You want my vote? Show me you're a person of integrity. Because I do not want corrupt, I've been in too many countries 
where corruption has taken root. And I have seen the effects of this corruption. And I do not want that for the nation that I love, for the city that I adore, for the county where my kids are growing up. I want people of integrity in those positions. Why? Because I want quiet and peaceful lives with all godliness and holiness to rule and reign in this city. So we pray for government to do good and to be led by people of integrity. And I pray against corruption of any kind because corruption will ultimately kill the soul of a nation. Once we ever lose our integrity, it's gone. You know how long it takes to regain trust? A long time. It takes a long time to earn it and a short time to give it away. And I want our nation, I want our our county, our, our local government to know that. Be a person of integrity. So we pray against corruption and government has an important role to protect its citizens. This is what 1 Peter says, this is what 1 Timothy says, Romans 13 says this, it has an important role to protect its citizens. And this requires people of integrity, wisdom and courage. Here's what I've learned a long, long time ago. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, please write this next line down, okay? I want you to write it down. Power exacerbate rather than cures an absence of integrity. In other words, the worst thing you can do is give power to a person who does not have integrity. It's not going to cure their absence of integrity. It will only exacerbate, not cure their absence of integrity. And when we give, listen, when we give power to someone, that power affects me. It affects you. It affects our schools. It affects everything in our neighborhood. Therefore, when I vote to give you power, I'm going to vote to give you power when you prove to me you have integrity. Because I know this, power is going to multiply whatever is in your soul. Power does not cure. Power exacerbates what's wrong. Be careful who you give your vote to because you're giving them power. And that power is important. Listen, Proverbs 11 talks about this. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When it goes well, when righteous people are in charge, and I'm not talking about a theocracy. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Christian nationalism. I'm talking about people of integrity, whether they're Christian or not. There are people with integrity who are not yet Christian. I pray for them to follow Christ, but there are some good people. Some of the best people I know are just pagans. They're good people though. They're honest. They're more fun than some of you. I'm just telling you, they're nice. So when it goes, <laughs> when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. And by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. This is why we have to be careful. We pray for our government. We're a prophetic voice to our government. And we pray for people of integrity to be a part of that government. That's what the scriptures tell us. That's, That's what's motivating me as I go through this process with you. I wanna give you something hopeful today, okay? I I don't know, I cannot guarantee you that our nation will ever return to a place of integrity. I don't know that. I don't know, I hope it does. I pray for it too. I don't know. I I don't see a lot of hope out in the future, in the immediate future. But I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep prophesying. I'm gonna keep voting for good people, but I don't know if that will be enough. But I do know this for sure. I know what Isaiah 9 tells me. Isaiah 9 says, for to us a child is born. A son is given and the government will actually be on his shoulders. So he's not just talking about present day. 
He's talking about the ultimate reality of, our, of, of, of how it's all going to end up here. Do you understand this? He's not talking about present day necessarily. He's mentioning, it does mention present day. But he's saying, just to remind yourself that in the end, when all things are said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. And Isaiah looked ahead into the future and said, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He'll be called the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, listen to this, there will be no end. That's good news, New Life Church. So here we are, we're caught in between. We're in the in, the in between moment. And we have a responsibility in this moment to be faithful people, to be righteous people, people of integrity, to vote for the sanctity of life, to vote for people that are going to cause our city to flourish. But in the end, when it's all said and done, when all accounts have been brought before God, it'll be Jesus standing there with the government on his shoulder. And he will be enough. And he will take us into a place of absolute peace. I'm grateful for that today, that that's already been decided actually. Whether or not our country rises or falls is of great concern to me. But what gives me great hope is that Christ is Lord of all. Christ is over it all. Jesus is over it all. So I asked John to sing that song for us as we get our hearts ready for communion. If you stand with me this morning, are you okay with me? I love you. If I didn't make you mad this week, come back next week. Just keep coming. I'll aggravate you at some point. But I love you. Can we just ask the Lord to stir us? Just open up your hands. Are you, are you okay with asking the Lord to trouble you a bit maybe? Maybe I need to be unsettled. As for me and my house, we give the Holy Spirit permission to convict us. Father, I pray for the presence of the Lord in our lives. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to believe everything we heard today. Lord, as you speak to us, let us hear you. As you lead us, help us to follow you. Not because we think we have all the answers, but Lord, you have the answers. You are wisdom. You are knowledge. You are truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. And we put, set our feet on that path today. The narrow path that leads to you. Lord, I pray today if you're anyone in the room or anyone watching online, if they have realized this morning that they're walking on a different path, that they would make a change today. They would get on the path to following you because you're the way, the way, the truth, and the life. You're the one that leads us to a peaceful and quiet life with all godliness and holiness. And that's our desire today, to be that people. Father, today we thank you that you're over it all. Over it all, King Jesus. Over it all. So Father, today as we prepare our hearts to come to the table of the Lord, 
I pray we would declare our allegiance to the one true King, the resurrected Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father right now, listening to every word we pray. And for that, we are very thankful. In Jesus' name, let's sing this together. And then Pastor Eddie's gonna come and lead us to the table of the Lord.